0: Hello everyone, um, some great stuff there by those two unbelievable. My name is Isaac, as Naomi is said, and I'm a local boy, if you didn't know, a lot of students, come on. If you want to know the best one swing spots, hit me up afterwards. But today I am wrapping up our series on the Lord's Prayer. So please turn me in your Bibles to Matthew 6 verse 13, is on the screen as well. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. As we tackle this idea of temptation, my heart today is to tackle it as Jesus did. We are called to be his disciples. In Hebrew, just to geek you out, the word for disciples, the town the demons. Another way of saying this is apprentices. We must be apprentices of the ideas and practices of Jesus. When in prayer and reading scripture, with the power of the Holy Spirit within us, it helps us to see God's truth. So, this idea of temptation can seem heavy, a word which seems old fashioned in our society. But to summarise, a quick way of looking at it is the deceitful thoughts, feelings, or sensations that come into our minds and bodies, which then play to disordered desires, which then lead us to sin. None of which is part of God's truth or plan for us. But please note, sin is the byproduct of temptation, temptation isn't sin as such. So, as apprentices of Jesus, is there a story and a practice which we can follow? Thank you. that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is of course yes, so please can you please turn to me to Matthew 3 verse 17, and it should be on the board behind me as well. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live in bread alone, from everywhere but in every word that comes to the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, "It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me." Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Okay, quite a heavy passage, but some great stuff there by Jesus. And where do we start? Of course, is our follow <laughs> Um Temptation. Where is temptation rooted from? And this is a whole teaching series on its own. There's only thoughts, opinions and theories. But we see temptation is rooted from the devil, Satan, the evil one, or how I think it's best described for tonight, the tempter. And whatever your opinions on this, we see in verse 10 this is a real reality for Jesus. So we must take this idea seriously. But we're not going to get that rabbit hole down tonight, so just leave that there. But just view this as the place temptation comes from. Because temptation doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt us. We see in Scripture, in James 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. But God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And to be super clear, this is completely different and crucial to understand from testing. Which we see all over the Bible from the Old Testament to the New. In times of testing, our faith has potential to grow, and in times of temptation, our faith has potential to give in to these desires which lead us into sin. So, with all that hopefully Um what can we take away from this passage? Three times the tempter tempts Jesus, and three times Jesus calmly responds from a quote from Scripture. This passage is almost a conversation. Jesus is a non-anxious presence, grounded and confident in the Father's truth. And as apprentices, we must simply also be grounded and confident in that Father's truth. And where does Jesus turn to in this passage for truth? He turns to scripture. Scripture is one of the the most vital assets of our apprenticeship with Jesus. Temptation is more broad than we think. Jesus faces three three temptations in this passage. The first is instant gratification. Something of which does provide us happiness in the moment, but afterwards it leaves us hollow inside. At the start of this passage we see in verse one and two well that one for later. Um, if you just go to the start of the passage in your Bibles, he's in the practical science of solitude. He's alone with God in the wilderness. We see that he is fasting. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he is hungry. Of course you will be. The tempter tries to take full advantage of that. In verse 3 he says, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. But in verse 4, Jesus responds from Scripture. For Jesus, there is a deeper spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For Jesus, to be satisfied by spirits, was more important than to be satisfied by food. So for us today, what could food mean for us? It can mean the material things alive, or it can mean the instant pleasures we just want. When do we fall into that? Just wanting some instant material things or some instant pleasures. Stuff to make us happy and satisfied. But it won't be that. We have to go to the Lord to find that for soul, happiness and satisfaction. The second temptation is our trust in God himself. The tempter actually uses scripture out of context in verse 6 by quoting Psalm 91 to try and tempt Jesus to take his Father's love and protection for granted, and to test it. Jesus again responds from Scripture, I hope you can start to see a pattern, in verse 7, he says, and he does say this in context, he clearly knows stuff, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Simply, is there times we become numb, where we don't even trust God's love and protection for us, and we look for other things to fill that hole? The third and last temptation, is G is playing with Jesus' own desires. The tempter in verse 8 and 9 shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. This is a temptation to be dissatisfied by God and his plan for us and not trust him. To achieve the right thing, but in the completely wrong way. The tempter here is subtle, he's clever, and he's manipulative, and it's what he does to us all the time. He has nothing to do with wanting Jesus to sin as such but instead wants to play on Jesus' own desires for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. The tempter is wanting Jesus to take the kingdom, a good thing, but in a completely wrong way by bowing down and worshipping him. So when in our own lives do we put our own desires above the desires of God? Hopefully you have picked up on the fact that after each temptation we can see Jesus is responding from scripture. As we study the scriptures, it reveals God's character and truth for us, that he loves us, that he wants deep relationships with us, us, you and I, completely broken people who mess up, who fall into temptation, but by God's grace, mercy, love, and as you're saying forgiveness, he is always with us. And what a great hope that is, that when we do fall into temptation, our Father in heaven is wanting us not to feel guilt or shame, but to embrace his love. I think that's a such an encouraging aspect of our Father. Um, so let's look at this back to Matthew 6, verse 13. When we pray, asking not to be led into temptation, but to be delivered by the tempter, by being rooted in scripture, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it helps and equips us in this fight against temptation. By simply not choosing to acknowledge the temptations as truth, we simply change the channel in our minds, as Jesus did to scripture. You replace lies with truth. You, um, you cut new pathways, which take place in your mind, which take in place in the root of the neurobiology of your body itself. We become what we give our minds to. Simply, if we give our minds to worldly desires, or worldly interests, we become like the world. But if we give our minds to scripture, we take on the mind of Christ, to think like Jesus thinks, and that will enable us to become like him. And as apprentices, that is our goal. And to be clear, this would be a daily, lifelong battle. Temptation will never go away. Our city and our culture breathes it. We wake up to temptation every single morning, but by being rooted in the scripture, I'll hammer home the point, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it helps and equips us. So what's the practice? Hopefully you've got a piece of paper and a pen, maybe. I think Ross might be handing some out, legend. Um, this practice or formula is from a book called Live No Lives by a great guy, John Markoma. If you haven't heard me talk about him, please come and find me afterwards. I have plagiarized his talk, so I know he's listening to the podcast, so here's your shout out. But John Markoma uses Jesus' wilderness experience to make a helpful formula, which I think is a great place to start in our battle against temptation. You see, there are three boxes. In box one, on the piece of paper, or on your phones, but I think it's more powerful to write it out. Write the thought, feeling, or sensation which keeps coming up, which isn't, of course, true. An example is, I'm worried about losing my job and not being able to pay my car bills. In box two, what's the lie behind that thought, or that temptation? An example is, my safety and my security are in my job and only nine, newer, Nicer things will make me happy and satisfied. In box three, let's write out a piece of scripture which speaks of truth, the opposite of that lie. Example is Hebrews 13, verse 5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And John Mark Homer says this about this practice. The easiest part is to put scripture to memory. The harder challenge is the ongoing war to combat lies and control thoughts. Every time an identified lie comes into our conscious awareness, we don't fight it head on. We simply must change the channel. We bring the corresponding scripture to mind and direct our attention to truth. Then we go about our day. You know, you go for coffee, we study, go on a few dates if you're lucky. Um, and then, we get, then if that thought comes back three seconds later, we simply change our uh, mind to scripture again and again and again. This is the hardest thing, following Jesus. Like, it really is probably one of the hardest things we can do to have our mind solely fixed on him. But it changes our lives. Like, it really does. So let's open up our Bibles. Again, you can do this on your own with the person next to you if you feel vulnerable enough to speak about those temptations. And... Um, Yeah, let's just go through that process. And I just want to end on a quote by Dallas Willard in the Renovation of the Heart. He says this, As we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the final movements towards the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. So guys, let's change the channel." To our faults to scripture. Thank you.